you're worthy just as you are and you're an inspiration just as you are. And when I say that, I'm referring to wherever you are in terms of your dance ability, you're an inspiration to someone. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about finding your unexpected path to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm a marketer and an artist. On today's show, we're talking to Alicia Lenglay. Alicia is an incredible dancer. She's an instructor. She's actually our first dancer on the show, and she talks about her experiences as a young person going to the LaGuardia High School in New York City, which is the famed school that is the inspiration for fame, that TV show and movie, what it was like for her as a young person dealing with the stress and the expectations of being a young dancer, how she stepped away from dance for many years, pursued very different career paths, but ultimately came back into dance through class instruction. And today she is running her own studio practice. She's teaching. She is known as the dance dragon slayer. Uh, the people that she works with and who attend her class have to shake off and defeat these little demons that stop us from being who we want to be and having the experiences that we want to have and stop us from going wild and dancing. So I'm really excited to have Alicia on the show. It was a great conversation, and I'm really excited for you all to hear it. And I think that her ups and downs, both personally and throughout her career, are really inspirational no matter what path you're on. And whether you're a dancer or you're not a dancer or you're a professional or you just like to get down with friends on a Friday night. So let's get started with my conversation with Alicia. Alicia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Rob. Yeah, you are our first dancer. I'm very excited about that. I'm excited too. <laughs> and you have an incredible story because you started off as a dancer and then you went and became a therapist and social worker and worked in schools and then kind of refound dance through exercise and and you're doing amazing things today. Tell me, let's start off with what you're doing right now. What kind of makes up your your day-to-day? Well, my stage name is Alicia the Dance Dragon Slayer. <laughs> Love that. And um, I chose that name because I consider myself a dance entrepreneur as well as a dance healer. And dance dragons are kind of my symbol for negative self-talk that a lot of people experience in different dance settings, whether it's in the class or in a social setting, or even when they're dancing in front of the mirror at home, you have these like dragons that loom over your head and try to tell you not to dance or dance small. Like the internal voices that are telling exactly. you you're not in good enough shape or you you don't move the right way, like don't, don't do it. Exactly. I mean, they tell you so many things. They tell you you're not the right size, you're not the right race, you're not the right gender, you're not the right sexuality. You have too much skill to be doing this or you don't have enough skill to do that. And so everyone, um, no matter what your skill level, can experience dance dragons. And so what I'm doing right now as an instructor is building within my class the safe space to, number one, acknowledge your dance dragon. And what I like to say is slay your dance dragon. Just like <laughs> cut them out. Get them out of there. Say thank you very much for trying to protect me against 
you know, whatever negative feelings you think I'm experience and just leave me the hell alone while I dance. And if somebody went to one of your classes, what would they experience? Is it exercise? Is it dance? Is it like kind of spiritual or psychological? All of it. All of it. So I consider my class a dance fitness party because it's a good time and it's an Afro-urban dance party. So the styles that I gravitate to are um, Afro-Caribbean styles as well as West African contemporary urban styles. So some of the music you're going to hear in my class include Afro beats, soca, dancehall, reggaeton. Sometimes I throw in a little hip hop if I'm feeling like it, if I'm feeling a little Bronx. (laughs) (laughs) But most of the time it's Afro-Caribbean and um, urban West African uh, dance music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you grew up in the Bronx. That's right. Born and raised. Yeah. (laughs) And you talked about these dance dragons. And I'm wondering if later in life you realized those were kind of the the feelings and the things being told to you when you were you were coming up you were you were young you were going to high school at LaGuardia which yes. is kind of the basis of that fame yes. school yes and you were studying ballet I was studying ballet and modern primarily and prior to going to LaGuardia I was at Cats Dance School which is a really small mom and pop type dance school in the Bronx. Um, I learned a lot from my very first dance teacher, Miss Laurie, who I'm still in contact with today. Hi, really? Miss Laurie. Yes, <laughs> she's amazing. Like, uh, when did you meet her? How old were when you? When I was seven years old. <laughs> yeah, she's still, you know, out there doing her thing and still so very influential to me. So I wouldn't consider her. She's definitely not the beginning of my dance dragon. She's the one that put the spark in me. Actually, before her, it was my mom who took me to see Swan Lake. And then she kind of ran with it and pushed me. And um, encouraged me to kind of spread my wings into like the larger dance training offerings of New York City. And that's how I wound up at um, LaGuardia and at the Ailey School at the time. And before that, you were you were like dancing around the neighborhood, like dancing with friends, like more just kind of like neighborhood having fun. And and these people kind of recognize the talent in you, encouraged you to kind of get into the, the system, so to speak. Yeah. So at the same time, while I was training at Cats Dance School, I was also dancing casually with friends. I grew up in a primarily Caribbean neighborhood. And of course, Bronx, New York in the 80s, hip hop is just booming and everywhere. I had older brothers who listened to it all the time. And it was just kind of the fabric of my life, you know, not to sound like a cotton commercial, but it really was (laughs) the fabric of my life, hip hop music, and also Caribbean music that I was hearing in my neighborhood, early dance hall. And then my dad is from the Caribbean, so he was always playing soca music, Mighty Sparrow, and also um, Bob Marley was just constantly played in my household. So we would just dance for fun. Like after school, we would hang out and recreate some of the dances from the music videos or um, whatever was the latest dance. We would just kind of have little mini competitions amongst friends. And so that was just being ingrained in me the same time I was learning how to do tandus and plies and batmas and things like that. And so I was getting this um, formal training and I was also getting this really um, informal, fun, cultural experience, which informed my movement today. Right. And so tell me about that LaGuardia experience. Was it all like really hard and and, and bad or was some of it... Was some of it good and helped kind of build up the person that you are today and strengthen you? Like, what is your reflection of that of that time and how was it kind of going through it back then? Because it's, you know, people who aren't familiar, it's it's one of the top 
schools to to get into. It's the top in yeah. New York City. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that it was all bad. I would just say that personally from my experience, it was just a very challenging transition. I was going from being a big fish in a small pond at this really small Bronx school to then suddenly being in a context where after an audition with thousands, and then I'm not exaggerating, with like, maybe I am exaggerating. Maybe it was like <laughs> hundred. It seemed like a thousand. Okay, let's say it's 1,000. <laughs> but with the best of the best of the city auditioning, and it was a multiple date process, right? So this huge process of elimination. And then to be accepted after the whole process. So I'm left with the best of the best. And, and what age are you at this point? At this point, I'm 14 years old. Okay. And a lot of the other dancers were coming from other dance schools like the Ailey School Junior Division or Ballet Hispanico or um, Dance Theater of Harlem. So these are like really prestigious dance schools where the amount of um, discipline you had to have to keep up in those contexts and the amount of um, training you had to do, it was something that was familiar to those students. It wasn't familiar to me. Right. I think at that point I had a lot of raw potential and um, natural ability and not, necess- not necessarily the same experience of um, the the mental fitness you needed to have in order to perform well in that kind of context. So how long did you try to run on the treadmill before you maybe kind of Almost two years, a little under two years. And it was just tough. I mean, in addition to sometimes six hours of training a day, there was the fact that all of us were adolescents. And in general, that's just a time of insecurity. And then you throw on top of that, this kind of vying for attention or vying for praise or vying for, you know, spots because some of us were auditioning dancers. Um, you throw that on on top of just being insecure <laughs> like a regular teenager and it's if you didn't have that understanding of internal self-worth it's just a natural recipe for a disaster you know yeah and um i think that i was able to keep up with the other dancers um technique wise but because i hadn't seen that caliber of dancer from my peers before because I was a big fish in small pond, I was all of a sudden just plagued with this awful sense of self-worth. I just felt like I don't belong here. I'm not worthy to be here. Um, I'm not a good dancer. And in addition to that, there were some real, real life um, instances where I overheard other dancers saying, well, why did Alicia get the scholarship? I want like some kind of scholarship to the summer program at the LA school. Why did Alicia get that scholarship? Or why is she in level A and I'm in level B? And so Which is gonna happen to any 14, 15, 16 year old. Right. But when you layer on top of that all the competitiveness and you know, I'm sure everyone at that age has, you know, issues with the way they look and, mm-hmm. and compe- you know, competing and all that, but but it's all tied in it's right. and, and builds on each other, I'm sure, in that instance. At that point in my life, rather than having the understanding of, well, that person is just speaking from their own sense of insecurity. Right. Because they were saying it out loud, it heightened the insecurity I already had. And so I thought that other people were seeing 
what I was already feeling. And yeah. that just made me feel absolutely worse about myself as a dancer. And I just felt like I didn't belong. And it was so strong within me. But at the same time, I didn't have the words to articulate it. Yeah. So when I started first sabotaging myself, I started dancing poorly on purpose. I wasn't giving it my all because subconsciously I was thinking, why give it my all and still be perceived as someone that sucks? Right. <laughs> you know, why do that when I can just dance poorly and people just say, oh, well, she's not even trying. That to me felt safer than putting it all on the line and being vulnerable and trying my best and still not living up to you know certain standards after giving it my best. Right. You were in control of the failure. Exactly. Yeah. So I started like sabotaging myself and then it just got to the point where I said I didn't want to dance anymore. And I confused everybody with that. My mom was completely shocked because I'd been dancing since I was about seven years old. And you just said like cold turkey. I don't want to do anything. Exactly. I don't want to do I this in the neighborhood. The I don't, right. Everything. Um, the director of the dance program was completely shocked. She was asking me if I had a boyfriend. Because you had been keeping everything internal. And yes. then when you finally verbalized, because you didn't really have the tools to verbalize it, when you finally verbalized, you said, just done. Yeah. When I finally verbalized it, I just said, well, I don't want to do this anymore. I couldn't even say I feel unworthy. Those words just didn't live in me. I just, I didn't even know that that's what I was feeling. Right. All I knew was that at one point dance felt good and I felt confident and on top of the world. And now dance felt like this really unsafe, horrible place. And so how did you dig out during those teenage years to kind of like rebuild yourself? And then, well, yeah, answer, I'm curious, like, what that process it. was like. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't rebuild, my, rebuild myself uh, during those years. I kind of dabbled a little bit and joined a, a cheerleading team um, once I left the performing arts high school and I went to um, another local high school. But as soon as the commitment started feeling much like what I had experienced in performing arts high school in terms of time, uh, I was just completely turned off. And so I quit that. And I just stopped dancing altogether for a decade. Wow. And when I say altogether, I mean altogether. And there was nothing in your, in your bones that had any like attraction to that, that side of you? You know, during that time... I I would say that it was a it was a dark time for me. Mm-hmm. Um it was a dark time in terms of just my self-esteem. Yeah. And because I didn't have the awareness, I didn't even connect it to the fact that I, it was because I wasn't dancing anymore. At this point I can see that there's a direct correlation because so much of my identity and who I am today is connected to what I'm able to do and how I'm able to impact people through dance. And when that was absent from my life, I tried to fill it in other ways with education, with jobs and with just, I don't know, just trying to do the grind. Right. It's like, well, what do you do? Okay. Well, you know, you go to college, you get your degree, you go find a job, you you know, just trying to find something meaningful. Yeah. It's almost like you, you know, have this superpower and, and it, it, it kind of scared you so much to to use it that you went in the total opposite direction, right? And and maybe um, to just kind of put it away. I would love to call it a superpower. <laughs> I think I would call it a superpower yeah. uh, now because 
you know, speaking from a, a place of humility, just from personal experience, I I can see how meaningful and purposeful it is when I create a safe space for someone to move their bodies when they haven't moved it before or they haven't been given the chance to move it before or no one's ever told them, hey, when you move your body, it's a good thing. It's a magical thing. So it does feel like a superpower now. At that time, it just felt like, oh my goodness, I can't even describe it. It was just, it was like a raw nerve. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Really, Mm -hmm. really raw nerve. I remember a time when I, I just refused to call myself a dancer because that title was just reserved for people that can, you know, kick their leg up into the forehead or someone that can do, you know, three pirouettes at a, at a time. If you weren't able to do that, you were just, you know, I don't know, some person wiggling around, <laughs> you know, that, that the, the idea of what a dancer was at the time was very rigid. Mm-hmm. So I didn't consider myself a dancer because I didn't fit into that rigid, yeah. you know, template of what a dancer should do or, or what a dancer should look like. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about our new sponsor, They're called Soothe, and it's the leading on-demand massage service. Now, you might think making ways, creative careers, massage, how are these things all connected? Well, I'll tell you, self-care and being kind to yourself and giving yourself time to daydream, time to exercise, time to sleep well and eat right and see friends and family and also get physical care is so important to the creative process and it's so important to being productive and getting great work done so i'm really excited to offer you all 20 dollars off your first booking with soothe if you go to soothe.com you can download the app and it's really amazing they will come to your house so all of this is at your home they can come to your office it's all on demand they can be there as soon as one hour from when you sign up for it. And they've got everything they need to show up at your house or your office or even your hotel to recreate the spa experience in that place. So they bring the linens and the music and the oils and everything. So check out Soothe. Go to Soothe.com. Use offer code MAKINGWAYS for $20 off your first booking. It's sponsors and partners like Soothe that make bringing this podcast to everyone for free possible. So I'm so excited to have Soothe on board. I hope you'll check them out. That's Soothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com. Okay, now let's get back to the show. And what I see now in in your work, and I want to hear your perspective, is a lot of the inputs from that career that you then pursued kind of all draws together into what you're doing now. So talk me through how you ended up kind of going and pursuing your college degree and your master's Mm -hmm. and working in schools and and doing therapy and and social work as well. Uh, Counseling. I never got a social work degree. I have two degrees. My first two graduate degrees. My first degree is in school counseling and it's a master's in education. And then the second degree is a master of arts in psychology. And the degree is called transpersonal psychology. Oh, long title. <laughs> transpersonal psychology with a concentration in expressive arts therapy. So I focused all my studies and my research in expressive arts therapy, dance therapy, drama therapy, art therapy, things of that nature. So you maybe saw some of the hurt that you had gone through and, and maybe wanted to learn ways you could 
help kids in all different kinds of ways? Is that where it kind of came from? You know, it was kind of like a slow crawl back. And I was just kind of tying everything together along the way, not really realizing how um, connected they were at this point. So I actually got into psychology through education. I was, you know, working as an employee at H&M. And one of my coworkers at the time, and I think at this this point, I'm about 22 years old. And you're still in New York? I'm in New York. Yeah. Working at H&M. And my coworker was a teacher's assistant at a Montessori school. At this point, I'd already um, been in college for two years. My first year of college, I was a fashion merchandising major. Okay. And where were you in school? Oh, my goodness. You see, I was so lost. I went to three (laughs) different undergrads. Just to give you an idea of how directionless I was at this point, because nothing fired me up the way dance did. And of course, dance wasn't an option. So I'm like, well, what am I doing? Right. So my first year of college, I went to a small specialized fashion college called Laboratory Institute of Merchandising. And I studied fashion merchandising. I was disenchanted with that. I went to Morris Brown College in Atlanta, Georgia. I was a black studies major at that time. I was disenchanted with that. <laughs> so then I moved back to New York. I kind of worked for a semester without going to school because I just didn't know what to do with myself. Right. But I had to go back to school because my parents say so, said so. <laughs> and um, so I was working at H&M and my coworker described what she was doing in the Montessori school. And I just thought it sounded lovely. I just love the idea of children kind of deciding their own path and being creative and having a space to shine, right? No one enforcing certain criteria on you. right? And so I said, well, what kind of background do you need to have to teach that? And she said... Well, an education background, but they also accept people that have a psychology background. So at that point, I'm entering my junior year in college. It's too late to do education because you need to start from freshman year. So I got into psychology. I started taking those classes, and lo and behold, I really enjoyed it. So I switched to a psychology major, and Black Studies became my minor because I was still interested in Africana studies and the culture and the music and the dance and things yeah. of that nature, kind of peeking at the dance from afar. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I finished my degree in psychology and I started volunteering. Um, I can't remember the name of the organization. I started volunteering with the teens and doing college advisement. And during that time, I met someone who was, um, a head teacher at a charter school and she said, we're looking for school counselors. You should apply. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You kind of were following an interest, but you also were like getting these doors opened and you said, sure, that I'll I'll explore there. Yeah. You know, I'd already had um, the experience with the teens. And um, at that point I had been back in grad school for one semester with my school counseling degree. So during that time I was still earning my degree. And um, so I'm learning all these really interesting things about psychology and counseling, connecting with the kids. And it feels really good. I would just have to say that touching people is what felt good to me in that context. Because prior to that, um, you know what? That was not my... I should backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Prior to becoming a counselor, I was a merchandise, a fashion merchandise allocation analyst. Okay. Okay. So I was working in fashion retail in the corporate 
um, in the in the corporate office. Very different. Yeah. Very different. So it really sounds awesome. The title sounds awesome, like fashion merchandise allocation analyst. It sounds really cool and <laughs> very professional. And it uh, was awful. <laughs> it was awful. So I think that when I got into school counseling, it was a a breath of fresh air because yeah. all of a sudden making connections and, and building authentic relationships wasn't just accepted. It was my job. Right. And you were seeing the impact on people on a daily basis mm-hmm. and helping them find their way. And Right. And I was a part of a team. I was with my colleagues who are still friends of mine to this day, even though they live back in New York. I was connecting with the youth and it felt good. So I, I thought at that point that I had found a new purpose, right? Yeah. a new fire. And I just kind of went with it. And then I did that for a few years. And over time, you know, that void started creeping in. I'm like, this is feels good, but it's just like not enough. Like, something. And you're working and you're getting your degrees? Yes. I'm, in, I'm getting my first degree, my school yep. counseling degree. And um, at this point, I had finished mm-hmm. once I started filling the hole again, right? So that hole I had felt during that like 10-year hiatus. And I thought, like, what is going on? And, and in... Earning my school counseling degree, I was introduced to dance therapy. Hmm. Now, mind you, I kind of had the idea to marry dance and therapy, and I thought that I made it up. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I made up dance therapy. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that there was like a whole national association and like all these, you know, founders of dance therapy that started stuff back in the 60s. You know, wow. I, I thought it was like my own creation. Yeah, I don't know about it. So, <laughs> you know. So, um, so I started feeling a little disconnected from counseling and and i and i thought dance therapy would just be like a great addition to kind of keep me connected and so um simultaneously i started taking zumba classes and i think taking the zumba classes kind of opened the door for me to even start thinking about dance right which it's kind of like an it's exercise but it's a gateway to to mm-hmm. dance yeah it was just a super low stakes just for fun move your body because you want to kind of situation kind of context and um i had i hadn't been in a context like that since i was a little kid dancing with my friends just for fun yeah i hadn't experienced that as an adult because as a teen in those um competitive environments oh no someone was always watching yeah even if you felt like no one was watching someone was always watching (laughs) and um and as an adult i just you know in my 20s i just wasn't dancing at all yeah and so, was it Zumba, you were still in New York at this time? Mm-hmm. Okay. I was still in New York, and I had this really amazing instructor who was teaching Zumba, but she was also trained. She had a lot of um, ballet, modern, West African, traditional West African training. And I think in that context, because I just decided, what the hell, I'm just going to move and have fun with it. Once I was in the mindset of who the hell cares my technique was able to shine, right? I wasn't sabotaging myself at all. I was doing the best that I could and I didn't care who saw it. Yeah. And I think that was shining through. And so when the instructor, her name is Pafina, I don't remember her last name, actually tried to like stalk her and like Google her and (laughs) look her up on, um, you know, social media, but. Because she really opened up this. She did. I wanted to thank her. That's why I was looking for her to just kind of thank her for opening the door. So Pafina, hi, if you're out there and listening. (laughs) She was um, pregnant at the time. She asked me to take over the class while she was on maternity leave. And I was surprised that she even saw me like that. So she had been just kind of taking it in. 
And she's like, I think you'd be great. She's like, you have a degree in dance, don't you? I'm like, I sure don't. <laughs> she's like, you don't. And, um, you know, she... Was that nice to hear? It was very nice to hear that someone was looking at me and thinking that I had all these years of, you know, training. And you had left it for a decade. Yeah. And you were being free and yourself. And for someone to recognize that version of yourself must have been really affirming. Yeah, it was completely validating. And it gave me the courage to say yes. <laughs> Did it, you have to think about it for a while? Um, Not too long. Not too long. At that, at that point, I was already kind of dancing for fun pretty regularly. And Zumba as an industry, it's like a, it's like a, you know, mega industry now. But at that time, it was kind of like just starting. Um, so she said, you should do it. And just having someone like that ask was affirming and validating and just gave me the courage to say yes. So I'm still a counselor at this time, but I decided to do it just for fun. Yeah. So she, you know, told me how to get certified. So I got certified both in Zumba and Matt Pilates which is, you know, another class that I was taking and she was teaching. And um, through her referral, the gym hired me after she left on maternity leave. And of course, in the beginning, I was super nervous and super awkward and just, it was, you know, it was good. I wouldn't say it was a disaster. <laughs> it wasn't a disaster. It just, I, it was just something I was new to. Sure. At this point, I hadn't been a teacher. I'd only been training and, and performing. Yeah. I had never been a teacher. So, um, but it was really great. Every time I taught, I got positive feedback from the students. People were having fun. Yeah. People were moving. I was getting like this great demographic of people. Yeah. And it just felt good again. And that was something I hadn't experienced in years. Yeah. Dance felt good. That's amazing. And how long did you work as a school counselor and also doing these classes, like mm -hmm. how long did you run both those races simultaneously before you decided to kind of shift the focus and leave the counseling behind? I believe I was a school counselor for about three years. And the last year I was teaching dance and um, working as a school counselor at the same time. I started bringing more dance into the school and, um, I really wanted to go full force with this dance therapy thing. At yeah. this point, I didn't feel confident enough to just do dance. It had to be connected to therapy. Yeah. Because still there was a part of me that felt like to do dance seriously as a career, it looked a certain way, which is, you know, a contemporary dance company or something of that nature. Right. And um, with the encouragement of one of my mentors from uh, my grad school, I pursued a doctorate in transpersonal psychology. Uh, needless to say, I did not complete the doctorate because I don't like to write. Okay. So it entails a lot of writing. I was like, hmm, I think maybe experiential learning is more for me. <laughs> Research, not so much. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big undertaking. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I did the doctoral program for about two years and and um, I was just too angry at my computer. <laughs> I wanted to have a good relationship with my Mac. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, seriously. Every time I sat down to write, I can like feel the steam leaving my ears. I was just like, oh. Yeah. But um, so I just decided to, you know, finish with my master's degrees, but still keep the same um, focus on dance and 
expressive arts therapies. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, I decided to move to California when I pursued the doctorate because okay. there just weren't a lot of offerings on the yeah. graduate level on the East Coast. And of course, all that hippie, <laughs> woo-la-la stuff is right here in the Bay Area. Exactly. I, yeah, it is. You know, because uh, I think of the three schools, like one was in Massachusetts and two were in the Bay Area. Yeah. So a lot of body, mind, I love it. all that stuff. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And so once you got here and and you you didn't pursue the the doctorate, like what was the transition to where you are today? Yeah. So when I first moved here, I was still doing um, Zumba. Okay. So I was working on my degree and I was teaching Zumba on the side at 24-Hour Fitness. And uh, just over time, I just felt more drawn to my dance classes into my graduate classes. And to be honest, when I finished my degree, I kind of didn't really have a plan. Yeah. People were like, well, what are you going to do now? And I'm like, I don't know. Right. You had started it with a certain intention. And by the time you were done, you were a little bit like turned around. I was really lost, you know, (laughs) but it was this. Okay. This time when I felt lost, right. I, felt a little bit more comfortable with the muck and mire of being lost. Yeah. Because I had made a decision to only do things that feel good. You know, when I was working in the corporate environment and when I was disconnected from dance and when my self-esteem was at an all-time low and um, my sense of purpose was just completely lost to me, it felt really awful, mind, body, and spirit. Yeah. You know, my yeah. my sense of self was gone. I think I'm a very slim person. I think that was like the skinniest I had ever been. And my spirit was just kind of broken, to be honest. So when I graduated- and you were feeling low and, and were you also, because I've had moments like this mm-hmm. where you're, you're feeling- bad about feeling low mm-hmm. so it pushes you down further yes you're not you're not just like in the in the bad feeling you're like beating yourself up for being in the bad feeling absolutely that's <laughs> right. like you're so spot on so you know because i was like this is not who i am also right so i was feeling low and at the same time i knew that that's not who i was so when i graduated with my second degree in transpersonal psych i kind of had an idea of where i wanted to go but I knew that I didn't want to get a job just for the sake of getting a job. And um, fortunately, my husband, who was the opposite of me, like like laser focused very mm-hmm. early on and like crystal clear about what he wanted to do. Yeah. He just was really patient with me. I feel like maybe in other relationships, partners might pressure their loved one to just do something or, you know, and he, I guess that's just the psychologist in him, but he was really like supportive while I figured it out. And, um, you know, when we got married, I was working in um, the mission as an administrative assistant. And then like shortly after that, I became pregnant and um, we had our first son who's now six. And I think... Being a stay-at-home mom also gave me a little bit more time. Now, I wouldn't say that being a mom was kind of like something to lean on and do. It just kind of happened that way. Yeah. Um, But all the while, I'm still teaching dance, still teaching dance. And and every time I like, every year I did a reiteration of my dance, I would do more technique. 
So it would like stray away from fitness and go mm-hmm. more into like complex technique. Like I was kind of sticking my toe back into like the more technical style of dancing. Sure, right. So, and that was all because I decided to use the same mindset that I had with Zumba. I was like, I'm just going to apply it to any kind of dance that I'm curious about. Right. And so I started taking classes at ODC. And What's ODC? ODC is a um, prestigious dance school right here in San Francisco. Oh, great. I mean, they offer every style of dance under the sun. And so um, I took really advanced contemporary dance classes and um, <laughs> kind of like floundered through it. But, you know, I did it. And yeah. that felt good. Yeah. I took, you know, some intermediate level classes, some beginner level classes, some techniques I'd never done before. And they all taught me something different about myself. All the while I had made a decision to feel confident that I was trying. Yeah. So this is like what I'm telling myself. You're trying and that's a good thing. Because I just remembered not trying. Right. And how bad that felt. Yeah. Looking back you know, we all have to take the journeys we take and, and you were able to bring all of these things that you learned, the experiences, the, the difficult experiences and turn them into, mm-hmm. well, how can I empower people yes. through what I've learned? And I love how it all, it all maps together. Of course, it's easy to see how it maps together at the, at, at the, you know, later on mm-hmm. as in you're hindsight, going, yeah, right? <laughs> as you're going, it's like, where, where, what direction am I going in? But seeing it from this perspective, what have you learned about about those times, those difficult times, and I don't know encouragement you would have given yourself then, or things that you you know so much better now? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that the main lesson that I've learned, and it's actually something that I say all the time to my students, is that you're worthy just as you are. And you're an inspiration just as you are. And when I say that, I'm referring to wherever you are in terms of your dance ability, you're an inspiration to someone. So if you have little technical training or a lot of technical training, it doesn't matter. The fact that you made a choice to move your body, the fact that you have shown vulnerability, and the fact that you've made a decision to express your freedom to move is inspiring. How many times have you seen like a video or just someone at a festival just going in? <laughs> yeah. You know, and just not giving a damn. Yeah. And you're not looking at that person's toes to make sure their toes are pointed. You are enjoying them. You're enjoying their freedom. You're enjoying their inspiration. You're enjoying their light. And so that's what I encourage people to look at when they're dancing is like, how much are you shining your light? So slay those dance dragons so that you can make space for your light. So you're an inspiration just as you are, just because you made a choice to move your body. Because for every person that makes a choice to move their body in any context, there's five people that are sitting on the sides just like I did. The second thing I would say is trust the timing of your life. So one thing that plagued me after I started getting my confidence back was lamenting the years that I had lost. And I was very upset with myself for taking that time off because I would think, wow, well, if I had 
trained all this time, then at this age, I would be doing this or doing that or what have you. And so I really started um, disparaging myself about not being better. And I didn't see myself as an inspiration because I felt like, well, other dancers that are my same age have this ability or that ability because they trained. And, you know, using that as an excuse, well, I can't do this because I didn't train. But, you know, I just had to trust the timing and trust the journey and not be ashamed of my journey because it's very clear, you know, that the connections that I'm making with people through dance is something that's purposeful and powerful. Yeah. Not that you did anything wrong, but you felt that you did. How did you forgive yourself? It's still a process. It's still a process. I still um, get upset with my body when, you know, I want to do a movement and and it doesn't come out the way I want to. Um, I still have serious FOMO, <laughs> you know, fear of missing out, like being a mom. And you have two now. Yeah, I have yeah. a six-year-old and a four-year-old now. And um, I teach dance to preschoolers. I teach to teens. I teach to adults. Um, but, you know, during after-school hours, when a lot of classes are taking place, I don't get to take classes and get better, you know? So I still deal with that, and I still struggle with that. Um, but I do remind myself of the tribe that I'm able to make. You know how they say that your your vibe attracts your tribe? And so, I like that. I hadn't heard that. You never heard that? No, I like oh, that I a lot. It. I love it. It's <laughs> yeah. so, it, But it's so true, right? It is, it is. You know, sometimes we think about the people that aren't hearing our voices or the people that aren't seeing our light or the people that we haven't been able to touch for some reason. And we don't realize that our vibrations have attracted this whole tribe of people that just are able to just authentically see and you're authentically able to connect with. So I just remind myself of that. Like my vibe attracts my tribe. And not only that, but I'm like grateful because they could be at home watching Netflix, you know, instead of coming to my class or, you know, I mean, the Bay Area is just so full of so many talented teachers and fun classes and they make a choice to come to mine. Yeah. And I'm really grateful for that because otherwise I'd be dancing in my living room all by myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm feeling amazing energy from you, and you've inspired me. I don't, I don't dance that much, but I would like to. And come uh, to class, that, slay with us. That would be pretty awesome. <laughs> um, but I feel, I feel freer in this conversation, and it's really inspiring to learn about the ups and downs that you've been through and the the tough times, and how you've brought it all together. And you know, I really admire the fact that you are continually trying to touch people and impact their lives and make their lives better through something that makes you feel so good. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you so much for joining the show. It's been an awesome conversation, Alicia. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for having me. That was my conversation with Alicia Lenglet. Alicia, thank you so much for joining the show. It was really wonderful meeting you. And I'm excited to maybe uh, take one of your classes and get out there and dance in the studio. If you want to learn more about Alicia, go to makingwayspodcast.com. We're going to have links up to her official website and her Instagram and tons more information and show notes on Alicia. So I encourage you to check out our website and learn so much more about her. 
If you haven't yet, please sign up for the Making Ways newsletter. You can also do that on our website. Please write a review on iTunes. It makes such a difference in people discovering the show on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes. Grab five stars for us if you are feeling the show and write a few kind words. And if you can't do that, maybe just pass along Making Ways to a friend or a colleague or your department at your company and share a little bit about the magic that we're trying to cook up on this show. Making Ways intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix, too. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Soothe, and thank you so much for listening. See you next time. <laughs>